Good morning, Southridge. How are we doing today? You all look really comfortable in those padded chairs. I'm telling you what, we're kind of spoiled with padded chairs, putting up with those plastic ones for the last 18 months. This is something else. You guys deserve those padded chairs. You all earned them. Man, all those weeks of setting up, tearing down, those days are done. Amen. God is good. God is good. So this is what the exciting part is. Now we get to stick around and get to meet one another. You don't have to run off to go get lunch anywhere. So get to know people next to you. Get to learn their names now. These are your friends, all right? And uh, it's a great time to be at our church. We're in the middle of a new series entitled At the Movies. We're looking at some of the most popular movies, and we're discovering truths that are buried inside of the movies. And if this is your first time here, you picked a good Sunday. You say, why? Because at our Connect Tent, which is inside, we want to give you a free movie pass go watch a movie and whoever invited you they get a free movie pass all right so make sure on your way out you get one if this is your first time that's happening through the rest of the series there's two Sundays left in this series we have two more films that we're going to look at we're going to pick out a part of them and we're going to put those in as part of our teaching time so we want to invite you to be a part of that it's going to be great how many of you you saw the movie the greatest showman you saw it Pretty good movie, right? Uh, some of the dudes in this room, you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to go watch a movie with singing and jumping and dancing. Uh, I thought the same thing, but think of it like this. Just think Hugh Jackman, The Wolverine Sings. If you're just thinking, you know, it's just Wolverine singing, it makes it much more bearable, okay? You're like, I can do that, you know? And uh, so it's a great film. But throughout the film, you see several characters, they're looking and chasing for success or status popularity or whatever culture defines as success and you see throughout the film that's what they're all chasing you see the main character which is played by Hugh Jackman he's he he was brought up very poor his father dies he just kind of has to raise himself and because of this he has this deep internal drive to uh, prove that he matters to prove that he has significance and throughout the film you see this played out and he'll go to such extremes where it's going to cost him some things Some of us, we understand that in the Silicon Valley, we understand that, you know, you can't work 80, 90 hour work weeks without it affecting the rest of your life. And some of you feel like you're given to your job, you're given to your job and you're like, but what's the price? I mean, we know we get a paycheck, but what's the real price? The price on our marriage, the price on our relationships, the price on our health. And so we're looking at this film and and finally these characters, they just say, you know what, this is me. The rest of the world may not accept me, they may not approve, but guess what? I'm not going to follow what they say is popular, what they say is significant. And isn't it funny? I don't know who they are, but there is somebody who gets to set what is uh, uh, popular, what is success. And haven't you noticed it changes? I mean, as soon as you get it, it just kind of changes. Some of you remember back in the day when you used to roller skate in here, and man, you had that old pair of skates. You had to borrow the brown ones from there, and then you came in here, and you were skating on those, and you know, the, 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 the rubber stopper is like worn down, so you can't break, so you fall over. And then you see that other person coming with their new skates, and man, they skated right by you with like ease. They started skating backwards by you, you know, and just kind of with a smug look on their face. Just made you want to punch them in their proverbial face, you know? It's just like, man, and he just made you so mad. What was that? They set a bar, and that bar said, this is success. This is significance. It's funny. You're fine with your car. And now that um, our old location, we had three different parking lots, so you couldn't see which cars church members drove. Now you're seeing what tr- cars they drive. And then you're like, oh, why did they have such a nice car? 
I don't think they should be driving that nice of a car. And all of a sudden, you're getting a little bit of like, man, a little envy, a little jealousy. And that's a really nice car. I don't know if they should have such a nice car. And what is that? It's it, all of a sudden you feel like, man, I would be a little bit more complete. I'd be a little bit happier if I drove a car like that. And it, it's easy. It's easy for these thoughts to creep in. And so throughout the film, you see characters as they're going on their own personal journey of discovering the fact that, wait a minute, happiness is not based on, joy is not based on these things that society and culture tells us that this is happiness, this is joy, this is success. It's based on something else. And we're looking at this one word. It's the word contentment. Would you touch your neighbor this morning and say, contentment, contentment, contentment. Because it's really easy when you're at your home and you look at your neighbor and they're doing a remodel, you are fine with your house. And as soon as they started their remodel, you're like, we got to burn it. Just burn it all. Just it's garbage. You got to get, get rid of it. You were fine with the way your children dressed until you went on to Facebook in October when everybody's getting their family photos done and they're in the gold leaves and they're flowing with leaves everywhere and your family pictures like leaves smacking you in the face. You know, you just can't get it right, you know, and things like that. And you're just like, man, I was happy with my kids until I saw that picture. Now I just want to like adopt some new ones or something. You know, it's just like I was fine. You know, you're going through the mall and you're there with your husband and you're holding his hand. And uh, you see another uh, friend, and she's with her husband, but her husband works out. And then you look at your husband, you're like, I will trade you in. I, I will get a new model. Like, I will find one. And, and you, you were fine with him before you got to the mall. But then as you're walking, you saw somebody else. And it happens that fast, doesn't it? What is that? That's our loss of contentment. How does that happen, though? Here's the word. When we begin to compare. You see, what happens is comparison kills contentment. That's what comparison does. And we live in the Silicon Valley where it just seems like wealth and status and significance abounds. And real quickly, we can feel like less of a person, can't we? We can feel like we're not complete. We're missing out. We're being slighted. We're being cheated. And it all happens because of this one little thought. Instead of simply embracing the fact that, wait a minute, this is me. This is who God created me to be. And we're going to look at a character he's found in the very first book of the Bible. So if you grew up going to church or this is your first time in church, it's an easy book to find. Genesis chapter number 4. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's fine. It'll be up on the screen or you can pull it up on your uh, mobile device. And we're going to look at this together. Because it's easy to have critics nowadays, isn't it? I love what Theodore Roosevelt, he, he's famous for this quote. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done it better. The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows the end of triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. It's not the critic who counts. And today, aren't we surrounded by critics? 
I mean, we've all had the proverbial troll on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. Just get on there and, and start to say things. And so it's real easy to want to change. But this morning, I want to look at a, a pastor's scripture, and I believe it will be a help to us. Genesis chapter number 4, verse 1 through 8. Let's look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now, I have three children, Megan, Austin, and Cain. We did not name Cain after this Cain. If you're familiar with the Bible, some of you are like, oh, man, the pastor named his son Cain. No, our son's name is K-A-N-E and not C-A-I-N. And uh, so, but uh, here's this first child born in the new world, and it's Cain. The Bible says in verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. And notice what happened. Two people did the exact same thing. They both bring an offering to God. But notice what the Bible says. And this is where we see the comparison trap begin to happen. Here's what the Bible says. It says, so the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So we see this character. All of a sudden, Cain was fine, and then he sees that his brother has favor on his offering. And that's where it starts, isn't it? You see, comparison kills our contentment. And this morning, it's real easy to just go through life comparing ourselves with everybody else. In a New Testament writing, in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 12, it says, those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise, but foolish. It says it's foolish to do so. And, and common sense tells us that. We, we're fine until we start looking at somebody else, until we start thinking that we should have that. But what happens is this is where it gets dangerous, and we're going to see how fast this escalates. You see, instead of Cain just getting it right and going to God and saying, I need to bring the right offering, now he does what I've done, and maybe you've done the same thing. You think, okay, my life would be better, but it's my boss who's in the way. That's why I didn't get the promotion. So if I get them out of the way, then I'll succeed. Or the reason I'm not succeeding in my relationship is because I married the wrong person. If they would just change or tweak or something, so if I just get them out of the way, instead of dealing with what's inside of us, all of a sudden now we want to project it onto somebody else that they're actually the problem. And so notice what Cain does. Even God steps in and God says this in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And that's the little phrase I want to park on for the next few minutes that we have together. You must rule over over it. You see, we have that desire to acquire. Touch your neighbor and say, you have the desire to acquire. It's just there. It's inside of us. We have the desire to acquire. It's just natural. Now, we were setting up the nurseries, and if you did not get a full tour of the facility, then, then you need to do so. It's really a long building, and uh, when you go through the airport, you know how you can just kind of step on those little escalators, and you don't have to walk, and just kind of goes? We need one of those. So if you happen to have an extra one at your house, I'd love to install it, okay? But you can't be the person that with your luggage, you just stand there on it. It's meant for walking fast, okay? And if you are going to stand there, make sure you don't block the whole thing. Just go over to the right, okay? That's, that's 
polite, all right? Anyway, back to the message. So uh, we were doing the nursery stuff, and I started to get all our toys and put all our toys, and somebody wisely said, they said, why are you bringing all the toys into the nursery? I said, because we want to have lots of toys for the kids. They said, here's what you need to understand about children. Children will play with as many toys as you have. So if you only have two toys, guess how much they're going to be happy with? Two toys. But if you put all 22 toys in there, they will not be happy unless they have all 22 toys. That's our human nature. Here's what's interesting. You are fine with your car until you drive down Capital Automall and you pass those cars. Because why? You have the desire to acquire. It's 2018, but the 2019 models, they're fresh off the assembly line. You're like, I gotta have it. You are fine with your jewelry until you go to the mall and you walk by Jared's. And all of a sudden, that ring just looks too small, too dull, and it's not the right cut clarity. And I forgot the other C. And, uh, you know, you just, you just, it's not working for you anymore. You are fine with everything. But what happened because of the desire to acquire, you just feel like, I've got to have more to consume and to consume and to consume. Scripture tells us in James that this is why we have problems. This is why we have wars, because of our desires to constantly take in more than we actually need. And so we see that there's got to be this, first of all, and if you want to write that down, this realization. There needs to be a realization that I have the desire to acquire. There just needs to be that in our life. There needs to be a Copernican moment where we just say, you know what, I'm just constantly wanting and craving these things. Now, here's the trick. I can admire it, but I don't have to acquire it. I can admire it, but I don't have to acquire it. That's where you know you're finally growing. That's where you know, hey, I'm at a good spot where I can admire. That's where you can go over to your neighbor's house. You can admire the carpentry. You can admire the new floor. You can admire the paint. And you can say, I admire it, but I don't have to have it. I don't have to have the latest and greatest. I can be content The Apostle Paul, he wrote in the New Testament, he said, I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in to be content. And that's just it. We have to learn contentment. Contentment is not a natural behavior. It's a learned behavior. Now, you're seeing Cain, he doesn't want to learn this behavior. Instead, he's going to do something drastic. He's going to do something crazy. And we're going to see that. But there needs to be that realization that you can be content no matter the circumstances. That you and I, we can be content no matter the circumstances. That we've learned that God, he's going to get us through. That I trust him. He'll take care of me. That I'm going to be okay. That it's all going to work out for his good. This building, we've done really major work in one week. It's been incredible. I wish, uh, how many of you were here two weeks ago for the little banquet we did? Did you see it? It's night and day change, isn't it? It's night and day. How much has been transformed? But what's easy, it's real easy to look at other buildings and be like, oh man, I really want that building. I really wish we had that. And it's nice to step back and just say, you know what? I could admire it, but I don't have to acquire it. It's okay to say, you know what? I know that I have this desire, but I'm okay. But here's what happens. We begin to tell ourselves a story. And I don't know about you, but here's what I began to tell myself. I began to tell myself this little story. I could go to the mall. I could see something online, and I would think, you know, if I just had that outfit, I would just be a better human being. I'd be that much nicer. I really would. I I would be so happy. I mean, the happiness would be so much happiness. Like, Like I've never had that much happiness. It would just be the happiest happiness I've ever felt if I just had that outfit. And this is the story I began to play. And there, there's, there's that side of it. And we're all kind of chuckling because we know it to be true. Or we think, you know, if I was just with her, 
oh man, I would just be so happy. I would just be so, so happy. I'd be the happiest happy that there ever's been and ever has been. And then, and then it happens and we're like, oh, I'm, feeling didn't last. Or we go to the other extreme. You're at your work, you're at Google, you're at Facebook, you're at Apple or wherever you work. And all of a sudden you get passed up for the promotion. And now you start telling yourself a different story. And it's the story that Cain's going to begin to tell himself. I deserved that promotion. I earned it. Do they not see that I'm putting in 10 and 12 hour days? That should have been my promotion. I hate him. I hate her. And instead of getting upset with the person that we should get upset with, maybe ourselves, we start projecting it on somebody else. What? What has happened? This drive that I've got to have, it's all of a sudden, it's projecting itself this unhealthy story that we have. Or here's another thing. And this is where it really gets unhealthy. Have you ever done this? Somebody looks at you kind of funny, and you start walking away thinking, they hate me. They don't like me. We've been best friends for 30 years, but I think the friendship's over. I think it's ruined. I should just unfriend them on Facebook and just call it over, quits. And then I should write a really sad message, like I never thought this person would ever leave my life, and now they've finally done, and gone, and it's over, and it's ruined, and I'll never be the same, and put a little sad tear face. And uh, everybody would be like, oh, what happened? You know? And uh, really, it, it's this imaginary story we begin to tell ourselves in our own mind, and it didn't actually happen. The whole reason your friend did that is because they just stubbed their toe just then, and then it kind of winced, and you looked at them right when they winced, and they weren't thinking the friendship's over. They just stubbed their toe, and it hurts. And instead of you actually talking about that, you just kind of go on, and you start telling yourself this little story, and you spun it, and it gets out of control. And so that's exactly what happens. So notice, you say, how do we know that happens? Verse number eight. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Let's take a little walk, brother. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Wow. Here's a man who could not live with the fact that somebody outdid him. He couldn't live with it. He took it to such an extreme that he couldn't live with the fact that his brother, his younger brother, no less, had outdone him. And some of us, we've grown up in large families and maybe you feel like you've outdone by your other siblings and they don't notice you, they don't care about you. And all of a sudden, instead of being upset with the fact that your parents maybe played a little bit too much favoritism, you're mad at another sibling and they're actually not at fault. You see, Abel did nothing wrong. God just said, hey, Abel, I'm pleased with your offering. Cain, I'll be pleased with yours if you fix it, if you bring the right offering. Just bring the right offering. And, uh, and, and instead of uh, Cain fixing it, he doesn't. He says, I'm going to fix the situation. I'm going to fix it in my power. And how many know when we try to fix things, we don't always make them better. We usually make them worse. We were picking up paint in this building. And when we're picking up paint, uh, we had some special things to clean it. But here's what I began to notice. We would take rags and we'd go like this and we just made the mess messier. Because when you take a rag, you need to sop up the paint. You just can't go like this. What happens? The paint just begins to spread. It, you, just, you just made it go further. And some of us on our path to avoid the problem, we create our problem. Running from it. And so we need to have that realization that, wait a minute, I need to stop. I need to stop this. I need to understand how I'm thinking. You see, here is Cain, and he's obsessing over something. What's he obsessing over? Himself. He was supposed to worship God. You see, when we obsess over ourselves, we can't obsess over God. 
And we were created to worship God. We were created to serve him. And we're created to obsess over God. But when we obsess over ourselves, we miss out on the fact that we're not able to obsess over our creator. And so here, Cain is missing out on an opportunity. So what needs to happen? There needs to be a rumble. Verse uh, number two, write that down. There needs to be a rumble. You say, what do you mean? There needs to be a, 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 a reckoning moment, a moment where we say, I need to deal with it. You say, why did you use the word rumble? Because it's not easy. Because we don't like to change. We don't like to. This is exactly why God even said to him, you must rule over it. But Cain doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't rule over the emotion. He doesn't take it captive. Some of us, we allow an emotion to come in and we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to, how to take care of the emotion. So we just let it out. And we don't rule over it. And Cain, instead of ruling over it, he doesn't. And you know why? It's the same reason you and I do. Because there is comfort in consistency. He was comfortable. You and I, we get comfortable, don't we? And when we're comfortable, we don't want to change. Here's what's, here's what's crazy. This is what I love about a new building. Because usually people over here, you actually in the other building used to sit over here. And people that sit over here, you actually used to sit back there. And now I'm going to have to readjust where you sit. And now each week I kind of know if you're in church or not in church because you just kind of pick your seat and you're going to be there for the next 25 years, okay? Until God calls you home, that's going to be your seat, okay? It's going to feed your cheeks just nice and you're like, that's my seat. And when somebody sits in it, you're going to get upset with them, okay? So now it's marked, all right? You picked your seat. That's it for the rest of the time that you're part of this ministry. And uh, so why? Because we love consistency because there's comfort in our consistency and when we get comfortable we don't like to change change is hard I don't like to change I've been telling myself for weeks I need to go back to the gym weeks I need to go back to the gym and every Monday I get up am I gonna go to the gym Uh, no I don't feel like going to the gym I don't want to change and you don't want to change because change is hard change is difficult change is not pleasant because change requires me to emotionally do some work. It, it requires me, and this is the hardest part, to own my part in the story. I can't blame anybody. I can't blame you for my problems. I can't blame her for my problems. I can't blame my boss. I've got to own it. And that's what we don't like when we have to change. You see, Cain did not want to own it. He didn't want to own his part. Instead, he wanted to keep comparing. And comparison creates competition. That's what comparison does. All of a sudden, it's, I've got to one-up that person. I've got to do one better. They buy a boat, you've got to get a bigger boat. They get a new car, you've got to get a newer car. They have so much money saved in the bank, you've got to save more money. They start a cooking channel on YouTube, you've got to start a better cooking channel on YouTube. They've got so many likes on Facebook, you've got to get more likes on Facebook. Comparison creates competition, and it's a never-ending cycle, and it's just vicious. You're at the gym and somebody else, they're on the treadmill and they're running and you see them and you get next to them and all of a sudden they're going like, you know, 10 miles per hour and all of a sudden you're like, I'll go 11 miles per hour. And all of a sudden, this person just has their headphones on, you know, and they're just listening to whatever and they don't know you're trying to race against them. And you look like the crazy fool because you keep speeding up and they're just speeding up like natural. And you're about to pass out because you're turning red. You're not used to running that fast. And you're about to kill yourself because you're in competition with the person next to you, which you don't realize this person is a cross-country runner. And so they could do this all day. You want to go all day? They will go all day. And they don't even care. And you're over there just about to die on the treadmill. It's not worth you dying on the treadmill. Just go to KFC and be happy. It's all right. So comparison, it creates competition, but comparison also creates complacency. You say, what do you mean complacency? Some of you, when it comes to comparison, you do this. I'll never be as good as her. So why try? Why even try? 
I'll never be a good enough mother, so guess what? I don't even care. Have gluten. Have red dye number five. I don't even care. I just can't today. I just can't. You know, just one of those days, I just can't anymore. And uh, just you're just like, I'm ready to give up. Why? Because comparison, it not only creates competition, it creates complacency, but it also creates condemnation. You ever just judge somebody? Well, of course they're doing well. Their parents were rich. They inherited all the money. They better have new stuff. Well, of course they got the promotion. They've been kissing up to the boss since they got here. Of course. You see how we, condemnation slips in? Do you see how kind of, how, how sad it is? How kind of sick it is? What the sin can do? But it doesn't stop there. But then condemnation, it creates a captive. And the captive is us. And the worst part is that we lose out on our calling. Because God had called Cain. He had called him to bring an offering to worship God. And God cares about Cain because God even has a one-on-one with Cain. And God will have a one-on-one with you. And he'll meet with you and he'll talk to you. And he'll say, what's going on? Why are you so distraught? Why are you so discouraged? Let's work through this. But instead of processing through his emotions, what is Cain now doing? He's like, no, 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 I'm going to fix this. God, you may have created the world. You may have uh, 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 created everything. But guess what? I know better in this situation. I need to go and take Abel out into a field where nobody else is, and I need to kill my brother. That'll fix my problem. And it cheats the rest of Cain's life. You can follow the story. And then Cain comes back to God, and God says, you are a marked man. And now Cain, is, he's marked for life. It forever changed the life that God had planned for him. And you and I, we will destroy our lives if we do not realize that, wait a minute, comparison, it's killing my contentment, my ability to be grateful for my spouse, my ability to be grateful for my children, my home, my job, my God, and the things that he's doing in my life. I feel like I've got to have more. But we need to have that rumble. I want to play a clip for you because I love it. There's a moment where the character Hugh Jackman, he has that realization after he had lost everything. He had lost his business. He had lost his family. They had left him, and he thought he had lost his friends. Let's play this clip. I won't be blinded by the lights. Isn't it so easy to be blinded by the light? The light of success, the light of having to be the best mom and the best dad, to have to compete with somebody else, and it's a never-ending cycle. And I feel like we're trapped in that. We live in the Silicon Valley, and it just seems like, when is enough ever going to be enough? And it seems like we're always chasing, we're always racing. And what needs to happen is there just doesn't need to just be a realization. It doesn't just need to be a rumble where we mess with these emotions. There needs to be a revolution. There needs to be a revolution in your heart and in mine where we say, you know what? I'm going to take these truths and it's not just enough to hear it on Monday. I need to put it into practice uh, the rest of the week. I need to live this out. You say, well, how do I do that? It's when I take the lies that I've heard that I've got to have this and I've got to dress my kids like this and I've got to have more. And now I start replacing the lies with truth. The truth is I'm enough. The truth is that God has blessed me. The truth is the Bible talks about that God has not forsaken us and he's never, he's never left us destitute. He's going to provide for us. He hasn't forgotten about us. So comparison, if I'm going to kill comparison, I need to swap lies for the truth. I need to start looking at God's word and saying, this is the truth. And the revelation comes when the process becomes practice. So when I take this and I say, you know what, today I will be content. I'm going to live this in day in and day out. That's when things begin to change.
When I say, you know what, God, I want to change. I don't want to be this person that constantly has this desire to acquire where I'm chasing the next thing. Never have time for those closest to me and those that really matter. Because one day on our deathbed, we're not going to look back and say, man, if I just would have worked a little bit more overtime. Man, if I just had a little bit bigger of a boat. We've been in enough grave sites. We've been in enough rooms where somebody spent their final moments. They just wanted to hold your hand. They just wanted you there. They just want your presence. And what happens is because we're in this race to consume, we're missing out on some valuable moments. And sometimes you say, yeah, it might be nice to have a little bit of extra income to buy a bigger or a nicer car. But you know what? I got a six-year-old at home that right now they want me home to play dolls with them. And there's going to be a day and age where they're not going to want me to play dolls with them. They're not going to want me to be around them. I got a little boy that he wants me to throw the football with him. There's going to be a day where I'm not going to be cool enough to throw the football with. Right now, I'm their hero. Right now, you're their hero. Maybe you're a grandparent and and you're still busy and you still have that entrepreneurial bent where you're still doing stuff and you're missing out on people that, 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 that are just here for a moment and then it's gone. You see, Cain passed up a life that he could have had. You see, this is our opportunity to write a different story. You can write a different story where it's not a story that, wait a minute, I chased success and what did it get me? I know it seems like today's been a musical, but I'd like to show this one last clip because at the very end, he shows this clip. And this one is by request from my wife. It's so good. We just had to put it in there. Let's show this last one. He finally got it. It took the entire film to realize that the greatest show was not actually the circus. It was his own family. In the Silicon Valley, it seems like there's one place that's getting robbed and cheated the most because of our comparison and our lack of contentment. It's our family. And I know that could probably be said across our country, but it just seems like there's one group that's being slighted. It's that. So this morning, may we make a decision to say, you know what? I can learn contentment. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to get upset. I don't have to get mad. I could be content with the things that God has given me so I can get one more moment with my spouse, one more moment with my children. Because life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Can we stand as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. It's a tragic story that we just looked at. It's a lesson to learn from. But we see a life, a man by the name of Cain, but yet I feel like there is more Cains in this room. I've been a Cain at times, where it seems like we want to kill off anything that might uh, take our contentment. But help us this morning to once again look at your word and let it pierce into our hearts and help us to be motivated to change. When it's easier sometimes to just stay the same, to be complacent, may it wake us up. May there be a revolution in our own hearts that says today is a different day. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. It's going to start today. I'm not going to wait till next week or next Sunday or another sermon or another message. I was brought here for this place, for this moment, and God, I'm going to change. I want to do things differently. I'm not the same person. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, new things can happen in our lives. And so, Father, would you start a work? 
There are people here that they're desperately crying out for things to change in their marriage, things to change in their family, for things to change in their work. And so we come to this old roller skating rink where we have fond memories, memories that now are gone, memories where maybe our father took us here, our mother took us here, our brother took us here. And that person is no longer in our life. They're no longer in the picture. And we miss them and we miss the moments. And yet we're missing out on moments that matter right here and right now because we're consumed by things. We're consumed by this desire to have So, Father, would you help us realign our hearts, realign our desires to match heavens? Would you help us? Would you heal us this morning? Allow us to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's sing.